Hello, what's going on? My name is Rich Ryan. Today we have a fantastic episode with a fantastic athlete. His name is VJ Jones. VJ is fresh off of a win at the U.S. National Series in Jacksonville. You may have seen it. So we talk about that for a little bit, but we really kind of go into a lot of details about how he prepares himself for obstacle course racing in terms of how to approach obstacles, how to practice on those obstacles, kind of his process in learning what is the best way and most efficient way to get through these obstacles uh, because he is at the top of the elite when it comes to moving through obstacles uh, for speed and efficiency. So we talk about that for quite a bit. We talk about some of his new coaching programs that he has going on and uh, how to implement that into some training. And we also go into what we foresee the future of this sport looks like, especially for the young athletes and ways that these companies can really help push the sport forward in our opinions anyway. So Love the episode. Great guy. Really smart, really knowledgeable on the ideas around obstacle course racing. And he's entrenched in it and he's going for it this year. So I'm excited for him and I'm excited to bring you this episode. So here he is, VJ Jones. All right. VJ Jones is here. VJ, what's going on? Thanks for joining me this morning. Um, anytime, man. Anytime. You just call and, and I'll be here. I promise. No problem. Deal. I'll, I, got, I got you on that. So first, congrats, man. We're, we're talking right March in 2021, and you recently took down the first race in the U.S. National Series down at Jacksonville. Put you in the driver's seat for the series or whatever route you do choose to take for the series. And uh, in this episode, I want to talk about some of your training and some of the things that you've done to kind of put yourself in this position over the years to be one of the top dogs in the sport. Um, but first, I must confirm that little towel – did that help at all? Could that could that possibly have helped in any way? It could have helped if I hadn't face planted into the water about uh, a mile into the race. Which, if you watch the live feed, I like face planted into about a foot of water, like really hard, and I got up really quickly. But everything on me was soaked at that point. Like there was no, so I, I had it wasn't really a towel. It was more of a napkin. It was like a black napkin <laughs> where I just brought it and I was like, dude, I don't know if this is gonna help or not, but like. I'm just going to keep it with me. I read the rules. I looked at everything. There's nothing in there about it not being okay. So I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to bring it and see if it uh, helps. And if you look at the live feed, I take it out of my belt. I go to wipe off the tire. I realize this thing is soaking wet. It's not going to do anything. So I put it right back away. So ultimately the thing that everyone wanted to, uh, like a few people wanted to get me DQ'd over, ultimately really didn't make a difference anyways. So there's um, like when I, yeah, when I saw that, when I saw it on the live feed, I did see a fall, and it was a fall. I was like, oh, wow, you <laughs> fell. Like, yeah. That was a legit fall. And, um, yeah, I saw that you pulled it out, and I was like, there's a 0% chance that, that'll, that that will do anything. I didn't even think people were going to make any mention of it, but I guess when it get when people see something that they haven't necessarily thought of, right? So you just did your due diligence. Yeah. And essentially, it's like race tactics, which is what – you know, what um, Logan Broadbent did, what Ryan Woods did, they made this decision in the moment to to save themselves time and go and do burpees and it paid off for them. Same thing. It's like you did everything that was like within the confines of the rules. But man, that would have to be like a really high powered towel, like the the best absorption towel that I've, that's ever been in, in existence for that to have helped. In <laughs> yeah, any way. something about that dew in Florida. It's not water. It's like baby oil. It was like there's baby oil in the air and they misted it on all the tires and it was so slippery. So um, it was it was a difficult one to flip. But I I had like three methods going into it in reality. And, and everyone's been talking about the method that I used when I actually got the flips um, as far as like digging in the sand and moving the tire over the hole. Uh, so it's not really a secret anymore. A few people knew about that, but it is what it is. Um, but I went over and chose the tire in the sand in case that was going to have to happen. Uh, first thing mm. I went for was the pinch. I've practiced pinching a tire in wet conditions before, and it's fine. But this happened to be like, um, I don't know, just, just that dew was different. It was so slippery. So then I went to try the towel. No, not that. And just a thing on that, I brought the towel because I didn't want to wear a shirt. If I would have worn a shirt, it wouldn't. I would have just brought a shirt, not the towel. Just to right. put that out there. And that also wouldn't have worked. That wouldn't have worked at all. No, not really. Been, it, uh, yeah, it was it was an option, but it wasn't the thing that made it uh, made it work. But then I chose a tire that was in the sand, um, and that tire was also the one that was closest to the sun and was most in the sun if the sun did come mm -hmm. out, which it didn't, so it didn't help at all. But there was a lot of strategy going into that obstacle because I knew it was going to be a big deal, and um, 
yeah, I think it's just uh, sometimes it comes down to that. When things are really nasty and, and really messed up, you just have to have like uh, a plan B and sometimes even a plan C for, for what you're going to do. And um, yeah, and, and the reason I won in Jacksonville is because I'm a good obstacle racer. It's not like I honestly don't believe that I was the fittest person out there. I wasn't the fastest, but I am a very good racer. And I know how to how, how to race well, and it, and it showed. And those are some of the things that I do want to touch on with you because that's just something from the outside observing that I, I can tell. And even that you've had – you just mentioned like going the tire, I had three different options as to how I was going to get this thing done. And it's just a matter of figuring out the best way to do it. And, and, that's, I, and that's probably one of the reasons why you do so well, especially in the shorter distance events because you do – you have figured out how to get through these things relatively quickly. And when they are shorter, they can definitely make or break the race. And, you know, we've seen some of the things you've been able to do in the race, but you also post some videos of some cool stuff that you're, you're kind of playing around with and practicing. Um, so when you're doing, so are you, and so I, to me, it seems like you're, you're being pretty innovative in terms of what to do with the, with the obstacles. Like you're trying new things, you're trying to figure out what's going to be the best bet. And if it's, if you're, if it's possible for you to do, so are you practice, how often are you practicing that these type of tactics for racing? Um, in the past, not as much. Um, I, I've, I've always had a lot of body awareness, like, uh, growing up as a kid, like we were almost kind of obstacle racing without obstacle racing. I spent a lot of time outside and, um, I mean, this goes back to like, uh, my dad used to be really big into like mountain bike racing and things like that. So he used to go to these local parks mm. that dirt jumps and I'm like, you know, five years old, so I can't do any of the stuff, but the other kids and I, we started this thing called foot cross where you're racing across like a, like a little section of dirt jumps and, uh, or BMX tracks. And it was almost like uh, obstacle racing at the time. Um, but growing yeah, up, then, then Spartan, like Spartan stole your idea. Spartan then took foot cross and made it. It's, it's Spartan cross. Yeah. So yeah. So sorry to, sorry to cut in. No, no. I mean, it <laughs> totally makes sense. Um, but I've always just had really good body awareness naturally because of how all the different activities I've done growing up, all the different sports and everything. Um, so obstacles weren't necessarily, uh, a skill question. At first, it was like a strength question because when I got into the sport, I was skinny cross country dude. I didn't have much upper body strength and like the body control um, from a strength perspective, but the skills were always there. Um, so it's always come kind of naturally. But as of late, um, after moving to Colorado, um, I've put a lot more work into the specifics of obstacles, having a plan for everything, um, developing specific skills and um processes through obstacles because in my backyard now I've started building um, an obstacle course. I have access to obstacles right here where I can practice uh, what works best for me, what's faster, uh, what works in wet conditions, all those different things. And I think that that's really what it's going to start taking as more athletes come into the sport, there's faster people coming in um, and everyone's evolving and people have to start focusing in on, on what they want to do. I think that uh, that jack of all trades athlete isn't really going to be prevalent in the years to come. People have to start specializing in what they want to do. Like you're not going to see someone win the 3K and come out and uh, you know have a shot at Spartan World Championships. It's just not going to happen because as athletes get better, they're going to start choosing what they want to like do. So that's kind of where I'm leaning towards and uh, being really obstacle proficient is, is a huge part of that. Yeah, and being a being more or less a, like a tactician and knowing what to do and having the skills that you're going to need when presented with you know an obstacle or something different and having it very thought out because it sounds like when you came into sport and like many of us do we just come in and we just like just run up to an obstacle and just do it however we can to get through it yeah. and that's essentially how it works for the majority and then w what seems to have happened is that one person whether it is you know, Hobie Call or Ryan Kempson is kind of this way and you're like this, like do it a little bit different. And then everybody else kind of tries it the way that you've been, that other people are, are kind of doing it. So it, it's, it makes sense that you're thinking of it in this way so that you know exactly what to do for everything. And you're developing skills for every single obstacle, not just like grip strength, more or less, right? Yeah. Um, and then when, 
so how, how does that work then when you're kind of looking at ways to kind of improve or innovate? Are you, are you kind of mapping it out in terms of what you need for skills? Are you just kind of playing around? Are you building strength around the things you feel like you need to build to do some of these, like, you know, these one arm takeoffs and these type of lache type of things that uh, we see you do? Um, like, what is that process like? So um, it really comes down to two things on, on obstacles. I think of efficiency and then I think of speed. Those are like the two uh, big ones as far as what I take into consideration. And I think those two things go hand in hand. So if I'm spending six seconds on the monkey bars and you're spending eight seconds on the monkey bars, one, I just made up two seconds. And then two, I only had to hold my body off the ground for six seconds. You had to hold your body off the ground for eight. So that's an energy saving thing. And it's also a time saving thing. And that's the way I like to think about obstacles. The less time I can spend on this, the less energy I'm exerting on it as well. And I can get back to the running. So when I hit rigs, when I hit things like that, things that are more strenuous, things that can pop your heart rate, um, I want to find the smoothest, most efficient way to go through it. And a lot of times that is the fastest way as well. Like if there's, if there's a rig and you come up to it, it has a ring, a ball, a rope, and then another ring and then a bar or something. If I skip that uh, rope and ball, one, it's faster. And two, I didn't have to do a lock off to grab the rope and all this other stuff that takes extra energy and extra time. So um, when people start thinking like that, um, it's a lot more fun to watch as well, but it's, yeah. it's a lot more efficient and that's, that's what it's, what it's going to take. Now at Spartan race, it, it's not as big of a deal, especially as the races get longer. Like if you don't have to be fast on obstacles in a beast, it, it's never come right. down to that close. It's, it's always going to be who's got the wheels, um, for that thing and, and who can just sustain. So if you take someone like Josiah, who is in Jacksonville, who has the capacity to run really fast for a long time and can be dangerous. Um, as long as he can get through the obstacles, odds are he can be a real uh, championship contender and something like that. But something short where you need to have quick transition, you need to be fast in the obstacles, he, he didn't have enough time to make that ground back up. So, yeah. And you'll see, and, and ideally, you know, down the road, if – the the talent keeps coming in and is able to develop and stays in to develop hopefully when we get to those like super and beast distances these obstacles and being proficient and like efficient and and fast through them will make a difference well right now the depth just might not be there in these specific races um but i'm guessing when you see things like the 3k at noram or or ocrwc is where that will kind of make or break the most now. Um, and I like what you said with the, with the efficiency versus speed. It's a good way to think about it. And when you're, so when you're practicing, are you just timing yourself and seeing how fast it goes or is there technique first and then speed? Um, it, it, I do some technique practice, like outside of running. Um, like I'm not doing any, like, I guess how Bracken would call it, like compromised running, you know, um, anything like that. Yeah. Uh, at least if I'm trying something new, I do it in a very relaxed state, um, maybe part of strength training. Like sometimes I just go out and I'll play on the rig for 20 minutes, just play with different techniques, see what works for me. Um, and that's usually how things get introduced, but also just having fun with friends. Like everyone likes to jump three rungs out on the monkey bars and do big swings just to do it because it's fun as well. So that makes mm. it like, uh, just kind of a game at that point. But then you find out what you're capable of and, and what you can sustain. And then um, in some more like intense workouts, you start playing with things and just see what you're comfortable with. Uh, it, it does take a lot more body awareness when you start making these bigger moves, when you're not touching anything and now you're flying, like reaching out for the next grip, but you're just disconnected from the obstacle entirely. Uh, it takes a lot of confidence and, um, I think the practice thing is huge. So you won't see people that are working out in like a regular gym, you know, getting their strength from the pull-up bar, making those moves really because they just never had the chance to, to practice that. So mm -hmm. um, I think it's it's an advantage to have access to obstacles if, if that kind of thing is what you're looking for. Have you spent time in like a parkour gym or in like an obstacle gym or anything like that? Or like I've never really – I've maybe been in one or two, but having like a, a, a foam pit there. Have you done anything like that? I mean, I've gone to a couple of parkour gyms just for fun. Uh, like 
when I was in LA, there was one out there and it was, it was fun. It like, uh, I just go with my friends and we jump over stuff and flip around. But uh, I've had a couple OCR gems here and there over the years. I never was like a, uh, an avid visitor by any means. Um, but in 2019, I actually built a 22 foot rig in our backyard um, in LA. And that was huge to be able to practice on and get used to like different things, especially going into like um, OCR worlds and stuff like that. Like this year, uh, being able to set up different rig set um, rig makeups and then practicing skills like gibbons and things like that. I feel like that's a huge advantage. I mean, I didn't really have access to OCR gyms a ton up until mm-hmm. now. Yeah, and there's still few and far between and like then it's another time commitment right like when you're doing all the different training pieces like okay getting to a gym and doing this whole deal and and then it kind of turns into this balancing act in as what's most important because uh, sometimes you know i'll see a lot of people doing some impressive obstacle stuff and they're showing off or whatever and i just know that they need work on their running you yeah. know it's like okay this is great but like how is this actually going to to help when it, it comes time to the race. So how are you when you, when you're balancing these things, like where, where is like too much time spent or say for someone who is kind of in that position where um, they need to kind of work on both things. <laughs> like how would you recommend people kind of balance their ability to become fast and efficient versus uh, on obstacles versus fast and efficient on their feet? Well, OCR is a running sport at its heart. That's, that's what it is. If you want to be successful in the sport, you can't, you can't not have decent running ability. You have to have the capacity. So people that neglect that obviously aren't going to stay competitive, but then people that don't quite have the strength to get through obstacles, then you see that other side. Like there's plenty of people that have shown up in the sport that are incredibly fast, um, blazing times on the road or on the trail or whatever. And they just never seem to pan out. Um, I mean, some of those people have made good transitions into the sport, but it usually takes a while. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's an experience thing or, or what, but um, I don't know. I think that you don't need all of this stuff. Like for me, I like having it now because I'm trying to take this more seriously. Um, I have big goals for the year and I feel like I just need to uh, be as dialed in as I can. But ultimately, you don't need these things. Like when I, won my first U.S. National Series race in 2019. I, I built that fitness off of a pull-up bar and a barbell. You know, like that was my strength training. That's, that's the equipment that I had. So you don't need all of this stuff. It's not like, oh, man, I really wish I could practice on my six-foot wall climbing or all this stuff. Like you can build fitness by doing quality run workouts and strength training the appropriate way. So, um. Yeah, as, as far as balance goes, like, I actually don't spend a ton of time on obstacles. It's not like I'm out there, like, every other day swinging around on the monkey bars, practicing the Z-wall, that kind of thing. But um, what I do like to use it for and the way that I set up this course, most OCR gyms, they have a bunch of obstacles right next to each other so you can practice. The way that I've laid out my facility is I carved a 400-meter trail into hmm. um, this area back here, and I built obstacles along it. So I have eight obstacles surrounding um, this quarter mile track. So I can do interval based workouts, um, with obstacles introduced. And I feel like that's the best form of training on obstacles because everyone does obstacles when they're fresh practicing that sort of thing, which is fine. But unless you can introduce obstacles in a really like, like that state of high heart rate. And, um, when you're like pushing like lactate overload, and you want to get to that obstacle. And, and, and that's the best way to introduce it. And that's what I've been able to do. And I think that's what really kept me competitive um, in Jacksonville because that was like the specific training that I was doing for that. Like I didn't have a huge training base for the race. Um, like I, I'm not in very fast running shape right now, but I was able to bounce back in between obstacles really well. And that's, that's what kept me competitive there. And that's going to be interesting to see when, when, you know, people like you or someone else had built something similar, or if there's ever going to be a way that we can study if this is, if this fitness is different 
you know, if like the things that you're doing are creating different adaptations and say just running quarters or, or running 800s, like how does this like moving through different things change your body like internally? Like how is that, is that working? And like, so like, it, and it makes sense because we want to keep pushing the sport forward and that's something you're doing and you need to be dialed in at every point of it. So like creating it is going to be like the best bet for it. Yeah. I was and then being able to say, I was having a conversation with uh, Richard Diaz about this yesterday. We were just talking about how um, people keep talking about these really fast times, you know, of people that are coming into the sport. And I mean, it's ex- extremely impressive. Like take like a, like a Mark Gaudet, for example, extremely intimidating for him to go run sub 15 in a 5k right before a race that really requires a lot of speed. But mm-hmm. we've seen those times before, and I'm not saying that he won't, really break through this year and figure out, you know, OCR specifically and everything like that. But it's like, he wasn't at the front in Jacksonville, which I expected him to be there. I didn't see him after the first half mile. So it's not the same fitness. It's not the same thing. Like clearly he has a lot of ability for like output. He can sustain high output, but for some reason, when it comes to OCR, it wasn't there that same thing didn't translate. And like, for me, I ran a 5k this past weekend and I ran a 1623. Like I am not the fastest I've ever been by any means. Like I'm like a minute behind what I was in high school right now. Like I'm not, I'm not super fast, but the thing is, it's like that super top end speed doesn't necessarily translate, which is weird because like we were still running pretty quickly out there. Um, But the people that, had a lot of hype coming into the race with a lot of speed. They weren't as close to the front as I expected them to be. And that, that was a really uh, kind of eye-opening thing. And that, that happened on the women's side too, right? There are two women, high-level running uh, women who just were were nowhere in the race, right? So it's interesting because like, what is it then? You know, like, and how do you build that type of, of fitness without just doing the races over and over. And also how do you know, so that, yeah, for, for you, like you ran the 5k and um, it, something that is a time that might not be impressive for you and like your, your running history, but you came out and you, you won the biggest race of the year. Right. So like, how do you judge your fitness when you're training then in, in terms of how you're going to be prepared for the race? Because it seems easy to have these metrics like a 5k or like, you know, that, 15 minute at a 15% incline uh, or whatever benchmark you're using that isn't an actual race. Do you have any type of benchmarks that you use? So like, to, so you know what your fitness is like, or are you kind of like using your, your, your backyard now, or what does that look like for you? So I used to like um, living in LA, I had um, these different routes and things that I was familiar with where I could run. And, you know, based on where my heart rate was or based on just an all out effort, I could tell where my fitness kind of was. And if I was improving or if I was staying the same, uh, but after moving to altitude, like we moved to 7,500 feet, which was mm. a big, big change. So getting used to this, um, it was really hard to gauge fitness because everything is so much slower up here. Like we did some one K uphill repeats here on like a, I don't know, it was a very slight grade, like anywhere between five and 10% the whole time. Um, but I don't know. Our, we were not moving quickly and it was like a threshold effort. Um, and, and you just can't hit those fast times up here. Like if you, if you want to turn yourself inside out and go for a race, like sure. But in workouts and in training, it's when I first got here and first started doing workouts, it was um, very humbling uh, just to, to run these workouts up here. And after talking to people and reading a lot, it's just, it, it seems to be, put in the work that you know works and trust the process because it will pan out. Um, but I think it honestly is going to take me a few more years before I can hit like fast times of track workouts up here. Uh, but it's, it's, it's definitely been an adjustment and um, I'm starting to develop some benchmarks here, some routes uh, with my main focus right now is training for big bear. That's what I'm getting ready for. So there's this local mountain, there's a route uh, to the top that I'm, I'm, uh, testing myself against. I did my first like all out on it, like a week, a week ago or so. And I'm just going to start trying to chip time off of that. 
And uh, that's that's like the only benchmark I really have up here um, as far as like known routes and things. It's all still pretty new. So yeah, it's it ultimately kind of forced you to change out of something that is going to be like metrics based or outcome based and putting it more toward effort based, which I mean, ideally that's what OCR is anyway, because the paces are kind of out the window as right. soon as the, as soon as the race starts, right? It's like, there's no real point in, in seeing what your times are as opposed just so the only reason I could see it just so you're keeping yourself honest, but you really even don't even know. You don't even know like, what it even means. Um, when you went down to Jacksonville, then did, could you feel the difference in like your breathing? Yeah, dude, the air was like soup, so thick. Um, it it's was, always it's always thick too with that. But man, I can't imagine coming down. You're at 75. That's pretty freaking up there. Yeah, it's high. It's um, we're like 1,500 feet higher than like Colorado Springs, which is about like. 15 minutes down the road. Um, so it's, it's definitely high. It's up here. So like our, our first runs, there's a trail that runs through the neighborhood that we live in. And um, those were like our first runs out here. And it was, it was rough. And the first thing I was just like, I was doing no intensity, just like only aerobic running just to get my body used to it. And um, I mean, I wasn't doing a ton, I'm still not doing a ton. Um, and that's like the main focus this year is to try to build some volume that I haven't had. And uh, I feel like I feel like if I do that, it'll it'll really help. Yeah, more more time spent breathing that air will be will be helpful. So and that that kind of transitions into this because you know mentioning going after Big Bear, um, which is a definitely a different race than Jacksonville, and and that's kind of the deal, right? With at least for Spartan race, the championship races and the biggest races in the in the at least um, stateside are typically mountain races oftentimes at altitude. Um, so you seem to position yourself in a place, at least geographically, that makes sense to train for that. But how do you figure you're going to then transfer like the success you've had on these like uh, shorter, faster courses into the mountains? Like what, what's your plan there? Um, you know, I've done a lot of self-educating over the last couple of years and read a lot of books and talked to a lot of people. and it seems that being a good mountain runner translates to being decent on the flats and, but being good on the flats doesn't necessarily translate to being good on hills at all. Definitely doesn't. So, no. <laughs> so I'm not afraid to start switching up that, um, that, that training to really just start doing a lot of hill repeats and start just getting a lot of vert throughout the week. So that's, that's one thing that's kind of changing here. I'm, I'm kind of dipping on flat ground repeats. It's not really um, going to do anything for me right now, especially with the races coming up, uh, Big Bear and then the Hildervat race. Um, right after that, the next weekend is right on the beach in Jacksonville. And, and running flat, the reason I'm good at it is because I put so much work in on my mechanics. I, I wholeheartedly believe that the reason I run well on the flats is just because I'm very efficient at it and I'm, I'm not making a lot of mistakes. So I feel like with staying in touch with that, um, it's something that I like to work on a lot and uh, something that Richard Diaz has like preached to me nonstop throughout a relationship is just that like uh, keeping those mechanics clean will make you fast and it seems to have paid off. So um, the main thing I'm switching into is just like starting to climb mountains, um, spending a lot more time uh, gaining vert. And I, I've, I've developed some decent climbing legs. Like I can run uphill pretty well. I'm not the best, but I can do it pretty well. And if I focus on it, I feel like I can improve a lot. Um, like if I, my main race that I really trained for the mountains on was uh, Utah in 2019. And I had a good climb up the mountain. I got up to the mountain, uh, like the top in sixth. And on the way down, I was as high as I think fifth place at one point, And I was within 20 seconds of third. So I was really close to a good performance, but I had some nutrition issues and I uh, ended up cramping about two miles from the finish and just falling mm. apart. So um, started taking my nutrition and everything a lot more seriously, like leading into races and what I need to do during the race. Um, but I feel like I have it in me to do that kind of work. And, um, you know, I've reached out to some, uh, you know, people that know a little bit about what they're talking about as far as training for mountain events and everything. Um just getting some outside opinions on, on where to go from here. But I, I feel like 
putting in the right work, I can be competitive. Like I'm not, I'm not intimidated by these races. I know I can do it. I just haven't really dedicated myself to it the way that you need to, if you want to be competitive. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's the all really. And you, I want to double back on the mechanics piece, but first, you know, we talked about some of the faster runners coming into the sport and, you know, maybe why they make the transition, maybe why not. And my theory on that is that the people, they just don't necessarily like the training. Like if you're coming from a fast running background and then you, you come into OCR and you don't do well right away, like you have to change something, right? Like you have to like, you can't just keep doing what you're doing. And then like, maybe the, the training might not be as exciting, right? It's like, ah, do I really want to like, carry a bucket during training or, or whatever to spend time doing pull-ups like i thought this was going to be easy um and now for you going into the mountains like that seems to be a a, a similar type shift right it's like okay if i'm going to do well at this i'm going to have to 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 turn my training into uh, more vert based so are you excited for that does that feel exciting for you to do yeah um i'm actually really looking forward to it i'm looking forward to big bear more than i was looking forward to jacksonville um, huh just because it's, it's something totally different. And I feel like I actually have the tools to really be competitive now. Um, I'm at altitude. I have mountains five minutes from me and it's, I'm in the right place to be competitive there. And I feel like, um, I don't know. I, I mentioned something. I don't know if Johnny remembers this, but I, I mentioned something to him after, I think big bear when he won that race, I said, so who's going to figure it out first. Are you going to figure out how to run the flats or am I going to figure out how to run the mountains? Who's going to do it. So, um, I feel like I'm in a really good spot to, uh, to really improve on this. And I love spending time in the mountains. Like I still do mountain runs even when I'm training for the flat races. Like my long runs are still climbing, you know, a couple thousand, 3000 feet. Um, and I really enjoy it. And I'm just, uh, I feel like making that shift is, is what I really need to do. Um, so vert and volume, those are the two big things going into the race and uh, just trying to keep my progression good. Because the last couple of years, it's kind of a change of topic, but the last couple of years, I've averaged very low mileage per week, like somewhere around like 30 to 35 miles a week for the last few years. And mm-hmm. um, my volume's really low, but my quality work is really quality. And my mechanics are really good. So those have kept me competitive. But I feel like if I want to really get competitive and, and really chase like a world title coming this year, I need to really step up my game and, and really improve the running side of things because the obstacles are there. Like, I don't that's that's not a problem. Um, and I just I just want to be more competitive and I, I want to just just step up the game, really. And uh, I feel like those are the two things that I really needed just to just add. So when it comes to training volume, right? Like, and seeing that, you know, you got, you had success with off of 30 miles a week. It seems like you're stayed healthy, you're stayed fast, your mechanics are on point. So you're efficient and you're fast through things. Uh, So what was the shift in your mindset when it came to, okay, like, let's start to layer some of this stuff on. Well, I've, I've always been about it and I wanted to do it. Um, but I'm going to be honest, I just got lazy and uh, I got kind of like <laughs> running uh, a second time in a day or uh, just running just to run, just to stack the time is, is pretty boring. So I uh, made a lot of excuses and didn't do it. And there's plenty of other things I want to do. Um, but I don't know. It, it, I seem to have this mental block of people telling me what to do and then I don't want to do it because they told me to do it. <laughs> So yeah, watch this. Yeah, I have to. Uh, I have to convince myself that it's a good idea first. I have to accept um, what needs to happen, and if it's my idea, I seem to be okay with it. But if it's someone else's idea, I have this immediate aversion. Like I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to do what I want to do. So, well, um, especially when you're seeing success, right? You're like, all right, like, yeah, like I'm doing fine. Like you do you, I'll do me. This it, this is fine over here. Um, so, but what what? How did you convince yourself? I don't know. Um, after just like, uh, you know, I had a decent understanding of endurance training, uh, you know, just over time and from, you know, just kind of, uh, absorbing information, hanging out with rich and doing all the clinics and things with him. And I ended up, uh, just wanting to educate myself a lot more and understand, you know, endurance physiology and what's happening on like the metabolic side of things. 
And after doing a lot of that education and, and understanding what's happening at these different training zones, the different heart rates and what's going on as far as like, you know, uh, aerobic metabolism and glycolysis and the lactate shuttle system and all this other stuff. It's just, I realized like so many people make a lot of benefits from just spending a lot more time in like that, that aerobic development phase. And also, um, people just build more and more volume throughout their career and that's how they get more competitive. And you just have to keep that stimulus up or else you're going to kind of plateau. And that's what I've kind of found. Like I haven't, like I'm competitive and I've gotten competitive just from training consistently and getting older. Like when I first got on, got into the sport, my first year traveling the U S national series, I was 18 and Mm -hmm. I wasn't like, uh, I don't know. The training hasn't really changed since then. I'm doing the same exact things that I was doing then, but now I'm just competitive because I got older. So I feel like, a lot of my success is talent-based and um, being a good racer. And I feel like, I don't know, it's, it's been kind of disappointing in myself to not have put in all the work that I know I could have. And I feel like I could be that much better. And I feel like there's a lot of untapped potential here that I'm skipping out on. And it, it actually kind of bothered me, you know, thinking about it and all this time we had off in 2020 and um, seeing everybody training pretty, like keeping consistent in their training throughout 2020 and I'm like sitting around like running a couple miles a week and I'm like man like I could actually be building fitness and trying to strive for something more than what I've already achieved and um I don't know I just kind of I, I think I got complacent or something I don't know how I haven't even been doing it this like that long but um I don't know I just want more out of myself and I feel like volume and real dedication to it has, has kind of lacked. And I've always had excuses like, oh, I still have a job or this and that. And like, now I'm here in Colorado. I don't have a job. My main job is racing and training. And um, I just got to dedicate all my time to it now. And and I feel like I just wasn't open to it before. And now, I don't know, the, mind shift, my, uh, the mindset just shifted. I don't know what changed exactly, but I, I just was ready for it, I guess. And like, like you said, and maybe it was the time to step back and reflect, whereas opposed to 2019 or whatever before is like, you're racing so often, you're seeing success and there's not this time to step back and really look at the the big picture. So it sounds like that 2020 actually had some benefit for you from that respect, because it's just like, like for me thinking of this for you, it's like, yeah, this is going to work. <laughs> like it's clearly going to work. Like you're going to run more and you're going to like, take it up the next level like might not be linear it might not be immediate but like it just does make sense which is great um do you feel like that complacency creeping back in or has it switched and now you're just like all right let's just roll well i had the i wanted to step up my game uh going into this year but when i was training for jacksonville it was still like you're not fully committed like i i so many things have been canceled i don't know if this race is going to happen yeah. or not so training for the race, it was like, you know, you're kind of like 70% training for the race. Like, yeah, I'm getting ready, but um, I might get canceled any second. And then um, after racing, um, having to really fight to stay in it and um, seeing, I don't know, just being a part of the race, uh, having success there, it was the most motivation that I could ask for. And now I'm, I'm just really amped to start training and, and really start putting in some work. Um, I'm ready to start doing some like two a days. I'm ready to start just doing a lot more training. And I don't know. I just, I can't boil it down to one thing, but I'm just, I'm really ready for it. And I'm excited for the rest of the season to do some racing. And uh, I don't know, my, my eyes are really set on OCR worlds this year. Everything else is just uh, a step in the path to that race. Well, since you're going to be out doing a lot more miles, spend a lot more time on your feet, you're going to have a lot of time to think about it. A lot of time to think yeah. about what's what's been going on up there. It's out there, just you and your thoughts. You'll have an answer at some point, I'm sure. Um, so you, you mentioned um, Rich a couple times here, and I know you guys had just kind of put together uh, a training program that I wanted to touch on a little bit called the Obstacle Race Performance Project. Yep. So tell us a little bit about that. Like what what is going on there? Like who is the 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 program for? Would you say? And is it is it a program or is it coaching what does it kind of look like so the OCR performance project uh, just kind of spawned out of this idea that um, we wanted to take the successful actions that I've had 
as an OCR athlete and what has made me good on obstacles, the strength training that I've done, um, and like the skill-based work as well, and combine that with the run experience that Richard Diaz has. Like he's been doing this for 30 years. Um, he's done metabolic testing on thousands of athletes. He, he really understands everything. So it's kind of combining my obstacles with his run game. And we thought, why don't we make a, a program that was more affordable that we can kind of present to people. Uh, and yeah, and to keep it affordable, it's, it's a group training. So everyone mm -hmm. follows the same programming, but um, we make suggestions and we uh, let people know where adjustments can be made to kind of personalize it for you. So things are pretty difficult in the program to where people that are at the top of their age group trying to be competitive there or even making the step to elite, you can do this program if you do it the way that it is. And then we make suggestions where things can be scaled back, where to lighten the load for people that are maybe a little newer to the sport or haven't done as much running. Um, but it's, it's a, it's a good program. Um, it takes Richard's like latest, uh, like flow running and everything like that, his methodologies for training, but it's, it's periodized training building up for events. Uh, we take consensus in the group when people's races are, when most people are racing, or if there's a race happening within these two week span, we try to build people up for those events. Um, so it's, it's more race specific training. Like it, uh, a lot of times it aligns with the U S national series. Cause a lot of people like to travel to those events. So we get a lot of turnout there. Um, so the next big race that we're going to be training for will be big bears. Um, so we're building up for that event specific to that event, the strengths that you're going to need. It's not just like this generalized program where people just hop in and uh, we're just going to kind of get you kind of fit. We're going to do some grip strength. We're going to jog sometimes, that kind of thing. But no, it's, it's it's specific to OCR and to some events, which is really nice. And, and people in the group have been having a ton of success. Um, we throw these benchmark workouts in there sometimes, and it's been awesome to see people progress. Like we went to, uh, I, I created this thing called the bucket mile early on in the program, a couple months in, um, it was just a mile long workout, but it had these exercises and stuff. And I saw some people were dropping anywhere from 30 seconds to two minutes off of a mile long workout based on, you know, it was about five weeks of training in between the first and second time we did it. And it was just, nice. it was so gratifying to see that the work we were putting out there was really getting results for people. And we've had tons of great feedback from a lot of the people in the group. And most of the people that signed up from day one, they're still in there um, and they're, they're really digging it. So it, it's, it's been really great. Like this is my first dive into coaching um, and working with athletes like specifically. And it's, it's been really awesome. Cool. And so it is, a, it's a ongoing thing, right? It's not a one time. So they, you enter the program and then it, you go through it with everybody else preparing yep. for one thing. So it's a live moving program, not like a one static, um, like 12 week thing. Right. Yeah. Right? So it's, it's open-ended. So when people sign up, they start joining the workouts, we train up for events. And as long as people want to stay in, they can stay in. Um, like we'll probably train all the way through some world championship events like OCR worlds. Um, and then we'll start kind of programming some, like off season progression and things like that. Um, and as long as people are interested in staying in the program, we're going to keep it running. Um, and there's been no reason for us to take a step back yet. So it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of an open-ended thing. And if people are looking to just train for events throughout the year, it's, it's a great, uh, it's a great place to do it. Yeah. It sounds like it is like, I, I like that you had the idea of like, okay, this is for someone who's done a lot of work, who can handle a lot of work and who wants to take it to that next level. Someone who might be age group podium or uh, age group looking to get into elite. Uh, it's really helpful to like know who who's going to benefit uh, in, in particular from this. So it sounds like it's dialed in. And what is, could you explain the flow training to me a little bit? I don't know too much about it. Yeah. So um, Rich released a book called training the dark side. Um, and it's basically a, a training concept where like he can explain it a lot better than I can, but the idea is to not divvy up your training throughout the week. It's instead of having your, like your speed day, your aerobic day, your speed day, splitting up all that work rather than totally segregating everything. He likes to. Um, integrate those trainings together. So say if you're going out on a 90 minute run, right? The end goal of that run is to have 30% anaerobic and 70% aerobic. So 
you will kind of flow in between the different energy systems as you're going. Now, there can be some structure to it where you're looking to get two minutes on and then like, you know, six minutes off or something like that. But it's the best way I can describe it is somewhere in between, um, you know, training by feel and then also training by the numbers. It's like you're, you're intuitive with yourself, but backing up what you're doing based on the numbers of, uh, you know, metabolic testing and things like that. So, Mm. um, he always uses the same analogy of, uh, you don't eat all your protein on one day and then all your carbs on the next day and then all your fats the next day, right? You don't split it all up. So that that's the concept there. So it's not necessarily Mm. that all of your workouts are going to contain intensity and, um, aerobic both it's not like you're doing the same run every day but he likes to stimulate both energy systems and flow in and out of it rather than completely trying to segregate the work and then uh you know running hard and then stopping and recovering entirely um it's been really cool it's it's definitely a different concept and i i'd say it 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 has its ups and downs but um as far as like the results that we've seen from using it it's been really cool yeah, and let's learn a little bit more about it because it, it makes sense intuitively, especially for something like obstacle course racing, where you know you don't sit yourself at 10k pace for 10k. You're moving and moving in and out of things depending on where you are in right. the race, and and you need to kind of depend on different energy systems. Um, and the macronutrient example is like that's fair. <laughs> that is fair. <laughs> uh, you get it all in. Um, and when it comes to like the mechanics of things, was this? How often are you like focusing on, are you like reminding yourself of the skill of it or is there different practices that you take to make sure your running mechanics are on point? Um, and was that ingrained from you early or like how has that process? Because it's definitely something that is in, like crucial, right? Like making sure that the skill of running is on, is, is in the right spot so you can handle the training load and, you know, like you made mention being efficient and, uh, and just performing well, but it's, it can be difficult to f- figure out how to rewire these patterns for people who are just starting to kind of learn about the mechanics of running and what to do. Um, so when you kind of started down that journey, were you drilling pretty hardcore or what did it look like for you when you decided you like wanted to make sure that your, your running mechanics were a focus in the training? Um, well, I always valued it. Um, I mean, like, like everybody else, I read born to run. And I wanted to throw my shoes away, right. but right. I was one of those people that actually kept my shoes on and didn't get hurt right away. Um, but Smart. I started making adjustments there. Um, I didn't read too much into it. You know, um, not, this was in high school and out of high school, started getting into OCR and I met Rich and he invited me out for a clinic. Um, and then he broke down a lot about mechanics and what he wants to see from people. And um, he's been doing it for so long that he makes it really easy to understand. And he has these different drills and exercises that make it as simple as possible for people to adapt um, to this new form of running. And it, fortunately enough for me, it wasn't as different uh, from what I was already doing. Uh, There were some tweaks that were made. Uh, I was like overstriding a little bit and, um, cleaning that sort of thing up, but it wasn't, it wasn't too different. So it was really easy for me to pick up on. Um, and I couldn't argue with the results. I mean, once I got used to it, just based on mechanics and, and not overstriding, like I, I watched my aerobic, uh, my aerobic runs, the pace increase a little bit. And this was just hmm. like two weeks after, uh, attending the clinic and drilling these things, my body was starting to adapt, get used to the movement pattern. And, um, you know, it wasn't a ton, but you know, anywhere between like 10 and 30 seconds per mile. is like a big deal when you're looking at like an aerobic run. That's a lot of time. It's a lot of distance. So it, it worked really well for me. And, um, things started to click over time, like working on it over the next like year or so. And then, uh, going to like 2019, uh, I did a, a specific like skill workout, just focusing on running mechanics and things just seemed to click. Like that was Hmm. the day that things made sense as far as like what I wanted to feel from my ground contact, from the way I was moving my cadence. And I don't know, it just like everything changed. And 
and I felt like I unlocked a new a new speed. So it takes a while, um, and it can be really uncomfortable for people at first. And some people they have that real hardcore mentality, so they just change everything and they don't go back. And a lot of times it can mess with people um, because if you completely change the way that you're running, and most people have to, because most people are heel striking very heavily, and um, it's a lot to correct. And that just, it loads muscles differently. And a lot of people can get hurt from, from doing too much too quickly. So, um, I don't know. It wasn't a big deal for me to make the transition, but it was uh, a really important skill. And it's, it's been amazing. It is just something that's like hard. I, I went through a transition much later in my running career. Like I've probably been running for 10 years before I changed my running form. I saw really some similar results in terms of injury prevention, right? Like I would just get hurt. I would train eight to 10 weeks and get hurt. And then I, I've been able to train really consistently for like the past four or five years after like changing things. So um, like you said about just not needing to go all in so fast because it does take time. Um, right. Nice. Cool. And, and, and it makes sense just to, and again, it just kind of goes back to what you said about being almost like a tactician on the obstacles and making sure that everything is accounted for and every part of the race you're, you're gonna have at least practiced or thought about the skill of it and running is no exception it's just something people just don't think about they're just like no i just run this is how i've always this is how i've always done it um but it would just be like the same thing as being stubborn going through monkey bars like oh this is how i do it even though there might be a better way like trying to figure out the best way to do that yeah i like uh, i like to describe it as like compared to swimming you know mm. there's the way that you swim and then there's the correct way to swim and I think of it the same way with, with running, especially if, maybe not for like trail running. There's a lot of different elements that you can't really account for, right? There's things that are going to change. But if you're looking at like a road runner, there is a correct way to move. There is the most efficient way for you to move where you're not fighting against yourself. Your ground contact is, is right underneath your body. You're pushing off with the right muscles. You're not loading the wrong things. And um, you're less likely to get injured. It's like speed and longevity can be unlocked by taking care of these things. And it's so simple. It doesn't cost you anything to make these improvements on yourself. And, uh, I don't know why more people don't focus on it because it, it just, it just pays dividends. I think it's just a long view. For th- I think it's hard to look past the difficulty of your run today. And it's kind of the mindset of wanting to accomplish something every single time out where, you know, you took that, idea and my, myself same thing it's like I, t- I took the time to to change things so that i could train well four and five years from the change not necessarily on that one specific run yeah because it's going to suck for a little bit like it's not going to go well right away so uh, yeah i would i would definitely like like you take that and just like let people have some time with it um which is really good advice on that um and speaking of that like when you're so you seem to have made this, taken this risk now where, you know, no job, OCR is your job, you know, going, moving to uh, a place where you're like the elements of the racing are going to be available to you. So you can't have that either. Right. It's like, okay, I don't have mountains. I don't have altitude. So that's out the window too. So you're, you're creating this, this life that is going to put you in the best position possible to capitalize on, the skills that you've built and your ability to, to do well on these things. And which is awesome. We need that in this sport. We need people to, you know, take it serious and, and push things forward. So if you were to talk to someone like yourself, maybe when you were in high school or somebody or like a kid who's looking into getting into OCR, like how, what would you tell them about how to prepare themselves or what they would need to do to be competitive or go this route? Um, I would say don't forget what OCR is. OCR is an endurance running sport at the heart of it. Mm. Like if you want to be competitive, like it doesn't take a lot to figure out the obstacles. It doesn't take a lot to develop the strengths that you need to make it through a Spartan race course. And if you're looking at OCR in the U.S., Spartan race is where it's competitive. And it's not nearly as difficult as other things. Um, it, it doesn't take a lot to get strong enough. So it really comes down to who has the running capacity and who can uh, – who can transition between obstacles the best. And that's, that's one thing um, that is really uh, important to practice is going into an exercise at full speed and coming out of an exercise at full speed. Um, 
and just having a tolerance for that. I feel like that was one of the main things that when I started working on transition speed, that really unlocked something. Cause most people, even if they don't realize it, you're running, say you're running at a good pace, those few steps before you hit the obstacle where you slow down and those few slow steps before you pick up to running speed, that's a lot of time. And that's, that looks weak too. When you see people doing that, that's like weakness. And anyone that has those quick transition times, that's really big. Um, so someone getting into it, I'd say running is the biggest component of the sport. That's where you're spending most of your time. That's where you're losing most of your time. And then um, work on the transitions, really. Like that's that's a, a unique skill to this sport that no one else has to do. Uh, there, there's, there's no rhythm in OCR. You don't settle into a rhythm. You have to mm-hmm. be okay breaking stride and, and changing what you're doing. Yeah. And that's kind of what separates the, the, the people who are trying to get into the top three from the people who are in the top five to 15. It seems like that the way that you guys are on the podium are able to come off of obstacles and move through it. Um, it's just a different level and it, and that's where, and, and, and things are getting competitive enough in the sport where it seems like that's what you're going to have to do. And you're going to have to bump your fitness up to the point that you can get there and move through it even faster because yeah, people are fit. And like you mentioned before, you might not be the fittest guy out there, but the way you're able to kind of move in and out of things. So starting that early is, is would be really helpful. I'm sure just and not work, not yeah. relying so heavily on the rhythm of things. Um, so what do you, what do you think the, the sport goes? Where do you see it? Do you look into the future and try to figure out like what that's like for you? Because I mean, you probably have another, if you wanted to, what, 15 years to, to compete. Killian won the world championship at 38, <laughs> you know, like, so like, yeah. where do you see it? Like, do you think about that? Like, where is it going to go? I think it's going to change a lot and I think it's already started. Uh, the, the main problem with OCR right now is that it's so boring to watch. I mean, it's, so it's not necessarily boring. Um, it's really, it can be really exciting, but watching someone jog through the mountains for two hours is it's not exciting like i like it's hard watching to capture it. too yeah, it, yeah you can't see a lot of it it's not close racing you're not seeing these exciting things that people want to see um i mean i love watching it because you know this is what i love to do it's a great sport and, and things like that but if you're trying to pull outside audiences people that maybe don't compete in the sport that you want to watch and that's where you get the growth that ain't it and with in the U.S., then putting so much value into these huge mountain races, that's going to be a problem, I think. Um, and with seeing that Spartan Cross catching on a little bit, um, I think that's kind of the next generation of, of what we're going to see be popular in the sport. Um, it's all about media coverage. Wherever you can get the media coverage, the bigger prize money is going to be, and then the bigger athletes are going to show up as well. So uh, like with Hilderbach coming out with an event, that is a similar concept and then Spartan cross now coming out. And I, I honestly think that that is going to really blow up this year. I don't think that the older fashion, like classic OCR that we're still competing in today is going to totally phase out, but I don't think that's going to be the premier side of the sport. Um, as much as, uh, this more closed course, um, more obstacle dense, like more exciting type of thing. Uh, that's, that's at least where I see it going. Yeah. And just like, we need eyeballs, right? Like we need eyeballs because eyeballs can then attract sponsors and sponsors can bring in money and money can bring in athletes. Right. And like, that's a really, that's what it boils down to. Like there's no eyeballs on big bear. You know, it's like, it, just because it's hard. Like there's us, we're watching it. We care, but we're already in it. The advertisers don't care about us. They they got us. Yeah. So it's like figuring out that best way to do that. Do you think that's a good thing for the sport? Like that, that kind of a shift? Because that seems to make sense that just visually and, and because it doesn't make sense that, I guess it does make sense because CrossFit also hard to watch, but it is watchable. You can see right. what's happening, right? It's more contained. You can see things, and it is people just exercising, yeah, literally. So, but like, I watch it. I love it. But yeah. like, adding some element of excitement. People watch Ninja Warrior for that same reason. They get to see something, and they can kind of 
understand what it would be like to go through that themselves while watching. Where at the Spartan race, it seems like we're running really slow. <laughs> we walk sometimes, you know, like we <laughs> yeah. have no idea how like heavy the bucket is. Um, like it's not, it's not relatable. Um, so do you like that? Do you like that it might come into this idea of that's going to be more in the vein of like a CrossFit or a Ninja Warrior for the sport itself? I mean, I think that plays well to my strengths. Uh, if you want, you're going to put on a 3K obstacle course with 45 obstacles, like that's really great for me. So um, for <laughs> yeah, my, own, for my own personal like uh, skill set, I think Spartan Cross is going to be really, really good for me and what I like to do. Um, good for the sport itself? I, I'm not sure. Um, it's hard to say because it's a, it's a completely new concept. No one's done it yet. Um, I think everyone's been talking about doing this for a long time, but no one's done it and actually pulled the trigger on it yet until now. So we'll, we'll see how it goes and um, what kind of interaction they get and everything. But I, I think it'll be really cool to have something that fans can watch, spectators can watch every second of the race. And having that many obstacles and having it be that short, you're going to see a lot more exciting things. Not everyone's going to show up to the monkey bars and do you know, the exact same thing. So you're going to watch like 50 right. people go through and be like, Oh, he did it that way. He's doing it that way as well. You're going to see people with different strategies trying to go as fast as they can. It'll be a lot more exciting. Um, but I think that like, I don't know what the format is entirely for Spartan cross, but I think that it needs to be mandatory completion if you want it to be exciting because everyone is very conservative and safe on obstacles because there's that 30 burpee penalty that will end your race. If you slipped off and made a mistake, oh, all I got to do is go back and restart. You're going to see people take a lot more risks because what do you got to lose? A few seconds and try again. Like that can make things a lot more exciting. I'm guessing they're not going to do that because they're pretty deep into the 30 burpee thing already with like their entire brand Spartan values. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the whole sport's built on burpees. Really? Yeah. So um, I'm not sure where it's going to go, but I think it'll be great. I think it'll be able to pull a lot of money and a lot of sponsors um, and it's going to be exciting for fans and, and whatever's exciting for fans usually is good for the sport. So I'm, I'm hoping that that leads to some, some sort of progression here, but I, I hope that I don't think it'll take the place of the, of the classic OCR style race that we have here. Um, I, I don't think that'll ever go away just because that's a lot more fun for people to just participate in directly. But as far as the spectator sport, Spartan cross is the spectator sport that we need. I agree. And it, it's, <clears throat> it would also be easier. Well, it seems like it'd be easier to put on and it's, it would also be other easier for other, for other companies to create competition, which is something that we need as well. You know, so if like Savage decided to do a similar format with their obstacles, like that'd be awesome. You know, that would be a whole different thing. It could be, and it could be, someone like you who has a course in the backyard, you know, these thick stadiums could almost pop up like uh, around the country where people can do something that is some somewhat similar, whereas Spartan races is massive production that you need uh, a, a ton of resources and assets to, to push into it, to create an event that is like that. And that's the only thing that is the show in town now. So I agree, man. I think, it, I think it's interesting and I hope things do kind of pop up and that, that does create competition and get some more eyeballs on the sport. Yeah. It, it, it has the potential to be really cool. I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, that they do it right and doesn't get lost in some Spartanness. So that'd be good. But, but yeah, but like someone else could take it, you know, and that's, that's always what I hold my hat on. It's like, well, if Spartan something happens, <laughs> at least there'll be other, other things out there for, uh, for people to kind of take the reins. Hopefully, and this seems like a good a good concept for that. And it's another way to kind of bridge the gap between between the obstacle person who's like obstacle efficient and the competitive athlete, because like the Ninja Warrior has zero chance in a Spartan race. Like yeah. there's nothing they can do. There's like absolutely nothing. So like maybe being able to have these people who are in a sport that's a little bit more popular, especially with the youth, like young kids seem to be into more like the parkour Ninja Warrior type stuff. Mm -hmm. um, we can have a race for them. I mean, that's, that's also gonna be really big for us. So, um, well, cool, man. 
thanks for uh, taking the time uh, to chat about some of the the ongoings of the sport. And I appreciate the time that you spent. So I'll let you roll. Um, I'll link to the no- to uh, the obstacle race performance project just so people have, can can find that in your socials and everything like that. But Thank where you, can people sure. find you? Or where 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 can uh, people look you up and, and find some information on you? Well, um, I got my social media. My name's VJ Jones, and then that's what my social media is on uh, on Instagram. So I'm pretty easy to find um, or look up uh, Spartan Race Replay. Odds are I'm in there somewhere. And, uh, yeah. So one thing that's cool, like uh, when I was like Googling, doing some research, Googling your name, your like face actually pops up on Google. Like it has like, you know how like if you uh, search someone that is like relatively well known, they'll have like an to the side of the screen, they'll have like a little blown out box for them. Really? You have one. you have one of those? No yeah. way, dude. No yeah. No way. I I have to look this up. You gotta take. Yeah, you, you gotta Google yourself because no no other. I'm not even sure if Hunter has something like that on on Google. I have not Googled myself before. Yeah, take a look. I'm. Holy uh, crap! Right. That's some status. Do you have a blue check on Instagram? No, or, I don't. I'm not. But not this back. this is better. No, this is better. This is pretty Def- cool. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty exciting, dude. I'm, now, now I know that I am something. That was all the affirmation now you, that I needed, dude. Now I've made it. I've made it. All the big checks and the the gold plates don't mean nothing, but now you have a little Google picture, so that's that's pretty that's pretty legit. Um, well, cool, dude. So yeah, you can Google his name; it'll pop right up. Uh, but I'll link to the Obstacle Race Performance Project. Check him out on IG. Um, cool, dude. Again, I appreciate the time. We'll press stop and we'll head back to that first stream, but. Um, that's it for us. Appreciate it, man.